Hi there, I'm Matt Ashburn, host of the Needlestack podcast. Needlestack is brought to you by Authenticate, creators of the go-to online investigation platform, Silo for Research. If you're looking for a way to conduct research anonymously, protect against cyber threats, all while avoid tipping off your investigative targets, then you want to try Silo for Research. The Silo Research platform completely isolates your online web browsing, allowing you a choice of location and digital fingerprint, and also has built-in workflow and automation tools. The best part is that Silo for Research is software as a service, so it can be used from any computer or location without the need for things like virtual machines, standalone networks, or, or dirty networks. To learn more about Silo for Research, visit Authenticate.com. That's Authentic with the number 8.com. Uh, the turnaround time for an article or or a radio news piece in traditional journalism is about a day, sometimes less. Uh, it, but uh, but in Bellingcat, it can take many months, many months to to do this piece of research. Welcome to Needlestack, the podcast for professional online research. I'm your host, Shannon Reagan. And I'm Aubrey Byron. Today, we're discussing some recent tests by Bellingcat on using AI for OSINT. That's right. And joining us for that discussion is Bellingcat's summer fellow, Dennis Cupton, to talk about the research he performed during the program. So Dennis, could you start us off by telling us a little bit about the research you performed while at Bellingcat and that inspired your tests? So I was in Bellingcat for four months after I finished J school. And uh, what inspired me to do these tests, ironically enough, was my inexperience with open source research and, uh, and open source journalism and, and all things OSINT. Because while I was aware and knew what Bellingcat was doing, what open source research was, uh, was it doesn't mean that I had a great degree of experience with it. And so I thought, could some of these tasks in open source research be automated? Things like geolocation, for example, or chronolocation. Could artificial intelligence do it? Because AI is all the hype now, that AI is gonna take our jobs, AI here, AI there, AI is doing such cool things. And so I decided to put it to the test and see how well it coped with the tasks that I set it. And I've done two articles on it, two bits of research. Uh, the first one being when I tasked AI chatbots, Bing and Bard, to geolocate images. And the second one was when I fed a large number of AI-generated images and real images into an AI image detector called AI or not and asked it to identify whether they were real or generated by AI. And from where I stand now, I was not super impressed with how AI was working on, on either of those two tests. And um, in what ways did the AI you tested excel and what were its biggest shortcomings? I'll start with the AI detector. AI, det AI image detector performed very well Mint was given high quality images. So when I downloaded mid-journey images in large file size, about two to three megabytes in PNG format, then it had very high success rate. In fact, pretty much 100% success rate when it comes to AI images. And uh, it also was pretty good at identifying 
real images with some shortcomings. But these are ideal conditions when you have a large file size and high quality image. In real world conditions, you generally have an image that is not super high quality and that is really compressed. Yeah. And so when I compressed these images, when I started feeding into AI detector small file, uh, small files that were something like 300, 500 kilobytes, then it started making mistakes. So, so I think that particular tool, AI Note, it does have a room for development uh, because now it performs well in uh, in very in in very ideal conditions, really. Uh, but uh, but if it does manage to to successfully extract data even from compressed images, then I think uh, I think it it will actually be it will set itself apart from mm -hmm. from other tools such as uh, uh, such as other AI detectors because other AI detectors have not have not excelled in identifying even even large file size very very you know very high quality ideal conditions images as for chatbots i honestly speaking can't really say that they excelled in in identifying locations of the images that i took and the again the images that i gave uh, chatbots they can be very easily geolocated manually i just wanted to test if chatbots could geolocate those images at all and mm -hmm. what I found is that chatbots try to replicate the steps that human researchers do, tries to mimic them, imitate them, but it, but they don't manage to do that particularly successfully. They don't see what's in the image. They, they don't have this capability to analyze what's in the image, and they tend to th uh, tend to see things in the photographs that are not there, and uh, it tends to to imagine things that uh, that uh, do not exist in the real world for example when i was uh, when i was tasking it to geolocate one of the images uh, that i took in edmonton where i'm right now it um, it stated that it was uh, that it was near a um, a um, uh, space research center well i looked it up where that space research center was because the the name of it looked a bit sketchy and mm -hmm. uh, in fact that that particular that particular facility does exist but it exists in vancouver thousands of kilometers away from here oops <laughs> yeah that was a fascinating article i think the um the other one on using ai to recognize ai um you know ai generated images it was also fascinating you know and and that seems to be such a need right now with the volume of content being put out by AI. In terms of AI recognition, how do you see this being incorporated in OSINT due to the shortcomings or reliability issues? Well, one thing that, uh, that f for me at least, uh, when I finish those tests is, uh, is my skepticism of AI tools uh, increased significantly. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the same time, I think those tools definitely have their place because you can't manually identify every single AI image. Sometimes it may not be possible to identify 
AI images unless you are an expert in very particular field. For example, when I was testing AI or not tool, I generated in mid journey several abstract paintings. And they and, and to me they look like like abstract paintings you see in your local museum. Yeah, I'm not an right. ab, I'm not an abstract <laughs> I'm not an abstract art specialist, and so I would not be able to distinguish between them. Right. And so and so that's that's one area where where I think uh, I, I think uh, that goes beyond you know typical classical open source research or OSINT the way we think about it now, because Bellingcat is known for its Russia-Ukraine investigations, for example. But it, but it goes beyond that. For example, yeah. if I'm investigating art fraud or something along these lines, then I want my AI detector to be accurate because, because at this point, and, and that's an area for future research, we don't even know if, if experts in those fields will be able to successfully identify uh, AI-generated images. And, and that they will be able to distinguish the the work of a human from the work of a robot you know yeah so so that's that's one area but also but also in more serious things I read uh, just a few days ago that uh, that uh, that for example in in Spain there is a pretty significant uh, pretty significant scandal now going on because uh, because uh, schoolgirls some schoolgirls had uh, had their faces. Uh, superimposed onto onto AI generated doubles in in pornographic videos, oh, so God. so that that is very concerning. That is very serious, and so such uh, so it, it's criminal conduct anyway. But I think it will have implications for for legal profession, for example, if you do yeah. a criminal trial, or in into into what is effectively child porn, and mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and and then identifying if if it's a fake. In, in in which the person in question has been defamed, but not in fact has been filmed engaging yeah. in such activities, or yeah. or it's uh, it, 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 it's it it's this, you know. So so mm -hmm. from that perspective, I think uh, I think AI detectors need to improve their accuracy absolutely, because uh, because at this point of time, I do not know if there are other uh, if there are other tools that do not. In, use machine learning that do not use these neural networks that can successfully identify such 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 images so from from this perspective i'm not uh, thinking about uh, about it in terms of oh well ai detectors yet another gimmick uh, that that generates lots of lots of false positives it's not a good thing that that uh, it generates lots of false positives at, at this point of time particularly when we deal with compressed images Mm -hmm. um, as for geolocation, I am not sure at this point if AI chatbots are capable of um, of successfully geolocating images, of working with images in their current form. Maybe at the next iteration, maybe when they are redeveloped, then maybe. Because right now, they have learned from the internet, which they scrub. That's how they. That's how they learn these chatbots. How to? Uh, they, they learn the steps that open source researchers take. They understand how to mimic them, but they can't do it accurately. They hallucinate all the time, and they require excessive prompting. When I gave them the images to geolocate, those images were a. They were in ideal conditions. 
B, they can be geolocated manually. And third thing, I also gave chatbots the general location of the place already. Yeah. I gave them the name of the city where I took it. I didn't just say, well, that's the, that, that's the, image, the image. I don't know anything about it. I want to know where it is. Um, mm -hmm. I gave chatbots the name of the city that this image is located is um, was taken somewhere in Edmonton, and this mm -hmm. image was taken somewhere in Ottawa, so it knew that, and and that uh, and that considerably already narrowed, uh, narrowed the search area. Mm -hmm. But uh, but as but when I when I tested aspects of how it was working with those images, for example, on one photo that I took, there is a building with several very visible logos on it, corporate logos. And so I downloaded those logos from uh, from the internet and fed them separately, those logos, into chatbots and asked them to identify what what companies did, did these logos belong to. And, uh, and, and it was neither Bard nor Bing were able to successfully identify those logos, which which were, were very simple. They, these are big companies that yeah. those logos belong to. They're not at all obscure. Yeah, you think about like, you know, how even just like a reverse image search of the logo, which it's doing, it's telling you that it's, you know, doing this type of work, it's capable of doing it, but it doesn't necessarily do it for like portions of images maybe, but yeah, it's interesting where where it comes up well well, well well i mean well i mean cor well i mean corporate logos corporate logos it, it didn't identify them it didn't identify yeah. them it, it hallucinated all of them when i when, yeah. when i gave them all of them 100 percent failure rate in corporate logo identification well going back to sort of the ai or not did you yourself find any tells for differentiating human-made images from ai Midjourney is pretty good at generating realistic images. I must say, I don't think, I, I don't think we are right now still in the world where where AIs generate strange shapes where people have six fingers or or an odd number of teeth <laughs> or something like that. So so honestly, I think AI has improved from that from. from from that point, it's become better, but it doesn't mean that uh, that it's perfect and it's perfect in its imitation of uh, of real photographs or real paintings. Um, I generated 100 images in Mid Journey. After generating 100 images and looking at them for so long, honestly, I can kind of instinctually identify if the image has been generated by AI or not because. Midjourney, while it's trying to imitate real things, it's trying to imitate real photographs, real paintings, real drawings. I think it still has a certain style that that you become used to mm -hmm. when uh, when you look at at those uh, at those images. So for anybody who just wants to to train themselves, kind of by rote, to identify. Uh, AI images, that's what I suggest they do. Generate 100 images in mid-journey, spend enough time looking at them, and uh, and uh, you will be in pretty good shape, I must say. But the tells for me, when I was when I was uh, looking at those images, were, were several things. For all the photographs, for, for imitations of all the photographs, it, 
it was shiny eyes, for example. They're like beady, shiny eyes. And that, and that was strange, as if as if light I was being this. reflected, <laughs> as, as if life was light was being reflected off them, and of course that's not what you'd see mm-hmm. in in a, in a real photograph, and also in general these these imitations of all the photographs of paintings, for example, they look just way way too perfect. I in in the real data set mm-hmm. that I used, I used. 20 paintings from the Renaissance period by great masters, for example. And uh, I asked Midjourney to recreate those paintings effectively. I took the descriptions of those paintings from from the museums uh, that that owned them, and I fed those descriptions into Midjourney. So I effectively recreated those paintings. And, um, And the way I looked at them, the way they looked, those the, those imitations, they were looked they looked as if they were painted yesterday. There, there were no cracks. Mm-hmm. There was no no uh, darkened varnish on those paintings. Mm-hmm. There were no little imperfections. There were there were absolutely the, the, the way they just looked was very much perfect. And that's not what you'd see in in uh, in, in real world conditions either. Even if the painting from hundreds of years ago is very well restored it it, it had a lot of work done on it and uh, and uh, it uh, it received high quality scanning still it's not what you're going to see and uh, and so that that was the second thing for me when it came to to uh, real uh, to paintings for example as for as for photographs there were several tells that uh, that uh, we have been aware of for a while, and uh, AI uh, image generators still have not um, have not fully resolved this issue. For example, um, the image of uh, of a city, or of the just of the street. If you narrow it in and uh, and, and zoom it in, and look at the for example at for example the window, uh, the shop windows. You see that that the uh, the titles is ju- are just written in gibberish. It's just uh, it is it, just a set of letters that uh, <laughs> that that is not uh, yeah. that that, that uh, is not found um, in any language really. So so that's another tell. I think uh, mm-hmm. I think yeah, people just need to to examine those images pretty closely and uh, and, and and think what may be off with those with those images and same the same comes to to um ai generated images of people because those those images looked way again way too perfect and and it's not it's not an insult not an offense to to anybody but every single one of us every single person has some imperfection in them whereas if you whereas if you show as ai does as mid journey does at this point of time an individual who is who is extremely beautiful, with no imperfections whatsoever, with with, with nothing about them that that may betray the fact that they're that they're real. Well, then you may start thinking maybe that is a procedurally generated image based on uh, uh, based on on those those thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions photographs that uh, Midjourney ingested into it and, uh, and and took out these top traits out of them, you know? Yeah. 
It is. It's interesting how much maybe we just don't even realize like the context of our human intelligence that we bring to looking at images. Like there's just this little, you know, icky feeling that something doesn't feel right when you're, you're looking at an AI generated image um, that, you know, little things like you kind of have to put your art dealer hat on. Like what about this isn't in the real world? You know, what is not worn? Where is the dust and dirt and, you know, specks and grime and things like that. Um, Yeah. Put your put your human hat on <laughs> to be good at Absolutely. it. Absolutely, for me, for me, looking at those images, particularly those that uh, that had people in them, I would I would really compare them to to sort of uncanny valley feeling that you get mm-hmm. uh, when you when you look at um, at uh, not very well done CGI movies. So yeah. anybody wanting to experience that, that that sort of effect and learn how to how to um, you know how to critically look at such images when uh, and uh, and have this uncanny valley feeling and instinct well like the best thing i can compare it to is the is cats the musical you know and <laughs> i was going to uh, say and, watch uh, a you can... polar express <laughs> <sighs> you know and so and and so i i think i think it w- people would do well if they didn't buy into the hype of um, of AI, because at the end of the day, what we what we have right now is not real artificial intelligence. It's neural networks. It's it's machine learning. It's deep learning. But mm-hmm. these tools are not sentient. They operate according to to procedural software that they're based on. And uh, and and so I think at this point of time, the whole the whole term artificial intelligence is more marketing than than what we in fact have. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the problem with using it as we found when we were testing it for writing is that if you are skilled in what you're asking it to do, then the excessive prompting all of the time it takes is not really worth it. But if you're not skilled, it can be helpful, but you also won't be able to fact check it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when it comes to writing, for example, and that's one of the things that uh, that I discovered when I was doing AI or not article. Um, the company that that owns uh, that owns ChatGPT shut down their own AI detector because it was it, it gave so many false positives. It yeah. was so inaccurate. But, uh, yeah. but but again but but again and I think and I think the test that I've that I've done on images and uh, and uh, the the older controversy over AI detectors that identify AI-generated written texts. Uh, I, I think it just uh, it, it just shows that uh, that um, also from time to time I think we need to give people more grace and and not be too suspicious of uh, of people. You know that that they used AI to just to just cheat because we already we have heard that that for example in academia. Uh, AI detectors became really controversial when mm-hmm. students got accused of cheating and uh, and uh, did not have did not have uh, a lot of recourse there and, and uh, basically were trying to prove that they're not a camel, so to speak. You know. Yeah, yeah, putting faith in yet more AI, you know, to weed out cheaters. Like it's nothing's perfect. You just have to use your best judgment. Uh, uh, absolutely it used it, it it was it was with written assignments but for example if we use the case of academia uh academic institutions offer fine arts programs 
and uh, and uh, what what uh, these controversies uh, with the, when when students got accused of cheating on their on their essays, for example. Well, what prevents right now uh, a fine art student from being accused on using uh, for uh, on using Midjourney uh, to to generate their term assignment and uh, and instead of taking the images themselves or doing the painting themselves uh that they use mid-journey to do it what prevents them from from being accused that they use mid-journey to do that yeah. i don't think anything right now uh, right or that there is any safeguard right now yeah well i i wanted to pivot a little bit um to talk about bellingcat obviously a uh, notorious organization in some rights. Uh, we're big fans on the show. We discussed uh, the We Are Bellingcat book uh, at the end of last season. Could you just tell us a little bit of what it was like working for Bellingcat and doing this research with them? The position that I got there was pretty unique. So internships and fellowships is something that Bellingcat is only starting to do. Hopefully they'll do more of them. And, uh, and just off the bat, to anybody who's listening who is who is in grad school or upper year of the undergraduate and is thinking of getting into into open source research you know write to them and uh, and offer them what you've got and uh, and, and maybe you know maybe you'll go from there because because Bellingcat is in many ways a, a really um a, a really unique organization not just in terms of what they do but also how they operate I was working for them remotely for the whole for the whole time I was with them and uh, and it's a, a lot of the a lot of work in Bellingcat is uh, kind of choosing your own adventure you do what what you think you're good at and uh, and you do what uh, what you want to do really and you have time to do it mm-hmm. uh, in four months I generated I well I, I did I wrote uh, those two articles but the reason my output seemed not super impressive, you know, to articles in four months is because such work is really labor intensive. You spend mm-hmm. lots of time doing this research and lots of time putting it together, lots of time thinking about it. And you can do many things there. The good thing about open source research is that it's a very unrestrictive term. You can do pretty much anything with uh, with open source along, as long as as you already have what you need avail- uh, what you need for it somewhere you know it's stashed somewhere on in, somewhere in the corner of the internet and, and just waiting to be found to be discovered mm-hmm. so you don't need to do interviews for example for it you don't need to to do to do more what 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 people do in more typical journals and what I'm doing now yeah. for example yeah and uh, and I found the environment in Bellingcat very supportive of creative work. Uh, people, you you are encouraged to ask for help. You are encouraged to to exchange ideas with people, and I very much appreciated it. In some organizations, some old, more old-fashioned organizations, shall we say, sometimes people, particularly if they're new ones, they are they're not. Uh, they're not encouraged to ask for help, and uh, and they're expected to to know to, to know a great deal about this work, at least enough to do most of the most of of uh, what they're tasked to do 
completely by themselves. But open source research doesn't work like this. It's constantly finding new things and it's constantly looking for new ways of doing things. And it's really being creative with, with what you've got and, and with what, uh, and, and what you're working on. And so, and, and, and so I very much appreciated being able to write a Slack message to pretty much anybody in that organization and tell them, that's what I think. That's, uh, that's what I'd like to do. Any advice here? Any, any suggestions here? They very much appreciated that. Yeah. That's well, great. and I think in that industry too, which I also came from originally, not a lot of publications have the time or really just the money to let you spend a couple months on a really deep dive investigative project. They just can't. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Staff for that. So absolutely. I work in, uh, in traditional journalism now and, um, and uh, it's it's uh, the, the difference is extraordinary. Uh, the turnaround time for an article or or a radio news piece in traditional journalism is about a day, sometimes less. Uh, it, but uh, but in Bellingcat, it can take many months, many months to to do this piece of research. But for a good reason, because as I said, such such work is really labor intensive, and you spend time. Thinking about it, you spend time, you, you spend time planning how you want to write it, how you want to communicate your findings, and uh, and and it does take a lot of work, particularly if you go into a pretend chartered territory with uh, with open source research, which you often do. Open uh, like AI that I've done the work on AI, uh, not very many people did it before, and uh, and. I'm proud to say that that what I've done with chatbots was something truly original. And so a lot of it is like academic research, particularly in the sciences, I'd say, mm -hmm. where you conduct your investigation, where you conduct your research and you become an expert on it, an expert in a very niche thing, in a very niche field, but you become an expert on it because you know it best and because you've done the most work on it and you've done the original work on it. That's a, that's an important bit. Yeah. yeah, I constantly find the blending of investigative journalism and OSINT really fascinating in this industry. Absolutely. Yeah. No surprise, we keep coming back to it. <laughs> we love it. Well, as we wrap up, uh, any parting thoughts for the audience, especially those that may be newer to OSINT or even self-taught? Bellingcat has got a Discord that I strongly suggest that you join if you are interested in this type of type of thing. Uh, it, it's got a, a, a pretty large community of people who are just interested in this and and who do OSINT as a hobby. Um, yeah, so so that's uh, that's the thing. That's I'd say for anybody interested in more professional work in open source research that discord should be your first point of call uh, mm -hmm. i also i also would like to say that that what i saw what i witnessed is that sometimes open source work can be pretty resource intensive as well not just time consuming but also resource intensive so balancat has got a patreon and, uh, and and if you are interested in this type of type of stuff then uh, then you may help them out a little bit if you want. Mm -hmm. But 
I'd like to return to people my age and, and, and people in, in my stage in life, so to speak. I'm 25 years old. I just finished, I finished grad school in May this year. And, uh, and I, I, thanks. And I'd say, and I'd say sometimes I think people who are interested in OSINT may be a bit intimidated by the complexity of it, by the amount of technical skills that is necessary to do this uh, this type of work and, and and i was fairly intimidated i was overjoyed when i got the this research fellowship with bellingcat but at the same time i thought i'll need to do geolocation i'll need to do chronolocation i'll need to do all of these things i sort of understand how it works but i have not really done this so so am i going to embarrass myself or or am i going to how, how am i going to make the best time of it and mm-hmm. and I'd say after I've done a bit of it for four months, uh, that that my fears were not exactly warranted. That mm-hmm. that you can find a niche, you can find an area in open source research that does not require you to have this complex technical skill set. And even with geolocations, if you start doing them, you're gonna get better at them. Uh, I was mm-hmm. I was pretty hopeless in the beginning uh, and uh, but 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 I got better my skill level at doing at doing geolocations for example at this point of time I'd, I'd estimated it at being about about intermediate intermediate to higher you know so so I can geolocate most images at this point of time uh, some images are more complex of course and, and more difficult to do they have fewer attributes but mm-hmm. uh, but given enough time, I can I, I can work with them. So yeah. so I would I, I would I would really encourage people to get into it if you are interested in in open source work, and uh, and get on Discord of um, on Bellicat's Discord, where people from time to time collaborate even on uh, yeah on investigative uh, research and and Bellicat uses this th- these collaborations on Discord to to inform their own their own work that is that is that is a professional published work and uh, and uh, you know people people who are finishing grad school or finishing upper year undergraduate and have something to offer to them i don't i don't think you can just be gung ho and say oh well i gra- i graduated and uh, and i'd like to have an internship with you you need to prepare <laughs> for that you need to, you, you you need to work towards it when uh, when i got uh, when I got a, f- a fellowship with Balancat, I was not completely new to open source intelligence. I've taken I've taken a training course with them. I've read about them. I knew what they were doing. So be really informed about uh, ab- about this field, about this about this uh, th- this area of of research slash journalism. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, but if you have if you have something to offer to them. Uh, who knows? You 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 might have a a good chance of succeeding and uh, and and uh, and working with the with that organization for a little bit, which I which I again strongly suggest because it's very good for your resume, it's good for your portfolio, but it's also mm-hmm. being able to say and 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 knowing that you've truly done something something really unique, and and not that many organizations offer that. You know, if you if you if you work with your local news, for example, because I'm a journalist, I, I return to local news now. Uh, after you've done a certain number of, of articles, for example, on, say, 
local crime or or or, or local traffic or or local happenings or whatnot. Yeah. Then, then it kind of becomes for then it kind of becomes formulaic. Not to say that it's not important, it is. But but there is a formula that you follow, and there is not much originality that you can find in in those stories. With open source research, if you want to be original, if you want to do to do unique work, there is an avenue for that. There is an opportunity for that. Yeah. Well, great that's advice. a great note to end on. And thanks again, Dennis, for joining us today. Thank you for inviting me. Very much appreciate it. it. And if you liked what you heard, you can view transcripts and other episode info on our website, authenticate.com slash needlestack. That's authentic with the number eight.com slash needlestack. And be sure to let us know uh, your thoughts on X at needlestack pod. We'll see you next time with more in the latest and OSINT. Stay tuned. Bye.